A fight is going on inside me, said a man to his son. It is a terrible fight between two wolves. One wolf is evil. He is anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. The other wolf is good. He is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The same fight is going on inside you. The son thought about it for a minute and then asked, which wolf will win? The old man replied simply, the one you feed. Wendy Mass, Jeremy Fink, and the Meaning of Life. I'm Blakely Thomas Aguilar, and this is Pop Culture Tech, an original podcast brought to you by VMware. Take a look at your Facebook or Instagram and how many charitable causes come across your feed in a single day, especially during the holidays. Instead of birthday and holiday presents, our friends ask us to donate to their favorite causes. A celebrity asks her followers to help a teacher, a social good campaign, a puppy in an animal shelter. Now, think back 10, 15 years ago. Would you have ever heard of those causes without social media or your iPhone? Today's incredible technology innovations have transformed giving into a viral pop culture phenomenon. Remember the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge? And to kick off the holiday season, what about Giving Tuesday, the viral social media sensation that raised $380 million in 2018, telling 14.2 billion social media impressions across more than 150 countries, all in a single day. A massive technology ecosystem of apps, networks, cloud infrastructure, and security make that event possible. And in our modern world, we demand these digital experiences in every part of our lives, including how we give back and pay it forward. One organization that's equipping communities with the innovative technology they need to build a more equitable planet is TechSoup. Is Marnie Webb. I'm the Chief Community Impact Officer at TechSoup. I'm also the CEO of one of our divisions, Caravan Studios. TechSoup actually originally started as a small nonprofit called CompuMentor. And it was our founder, Daniel Ben Horn, was a, was a journalist. And he was poking around on the well, an old bulletin, well, it's still existing bulletin board system, where people were communicating. And he saw all these techies being helpful you know, answering one another's questions. And, and, and he was like, wouldn't it be great if we could harness those individuals as mentors um, for nonprofit organizations so they could get their technology questions answered? Um, hence the name CompuMentor. So we started out by doing that mentor matching. He's talking about this with his journalist buddies, all of whom are reviewing copies of software. 
that come, you know, this is quite a while ago, right? It's 30 plus years ago. So the copies of software came as CDs inside a magazine. They were, you know, given to journalists. They were floppy disks. And those journalists were throwing the software away whenever they'd get done with it, destroying it. And he said, and Daniel said, hey, hang on a second. Let me take that software and let me give it to nonprofit organizations. So that impulse, how do we take the knowledge and the resources that exists in um, technically savvy individuals and corporations and make it available to civil society turned into where we now have hundreds of corporate partners who donate and discount their products for civil society, and, and, and we make those products available to organizations around the world. We are the founder and leader of the TechSoup Global Network, which is roughly 70 nonprofits around the world, all of whom are jointly committed to helping organizations on the ground, all kinds of civil society efforts on the ground, be able to better access, implement, and use technology to achieve their own missions. As we get to scale, which we have, we've helped about 1.1 million organizations in the time we've been working. We help roughly a half a million organizations worldwide a year. We work and make services available in every country in which a U.S. entity is legally allowed to work. Um, so we, we, we have a pr pretty good scale, pretty good reach at this point. Um, there's a real opportunity for us to, to go from building up the infrastructure of individual organizations to bringing them together in communities and come up with technology solutions that can make bi bigger changes. As consumers, we click, we donate, we feel great. But that's where the nonprofit's work begins. Just like we use an app to pay our bills, find a repairman, connect with our friends, charitable organizations need technology to manage day-to-day -day operations, help their communities, and achieve their goals. Marnie and TechSoup's Caravan Studios focus on building custom tech solutions for community organizations, from developing software for domestic violence shelters to an app for hungry school kids. had an opportunity to be a part of um, some innovative products for community. So the team at Caravan Studios, we're a small team, about seven folks. We actually work with communities. And for the purpose of this, we define communities as people that care about, a com have a common purpose, usually in a, bound by a geographic area. And we bring them together to actually generate opportunities for technology interventions, design those interventions, take those interventions out to a broader group so they can select the best of the features um, and the impact that they most want to see, then, then actually build whatever the it is and deploy it and support its use. So in doing that, we've had an opportunity to support um, organizations that are focused on domestic violence, human trafficking, and sexual assault by providing um, a service called the Safe Shelter Collaborative that allows member organizations, if somebody comes into an organization needing shelter and none is available uh, because of domestic violence, human trafficking, or sexual assault, they come into an organization, they need shelter and none is available, the, the staff person at the organization can um, enter 10 simple things into a web-based form, and that gets sent out as a notification to other organizations in the area, and they can very quickly say, hey, I, I can't help this person either, 
or they can say, yes, I can. So it's a very simple system, but what it's essentially done is dynamically reordered a paper list of organizations that you might call one at a time to get help. And we've set put the, the organization that you call on the top is the one that's most likely to actually be able to offer services. What we found with that system is organizations know whether or not there's going to be shelter available for an individual within two minutes, r- rather than two and a half days, which was the average previous to that. And for some particularly hard cases, it could take up to two weeks because they were calling the organizations one at a time. And um, what happens so often, however, in the in the United States, and in, fa- in fact, there are statistics that suggest it happens approximately 6,000 times a day, a survivor is told no because there's simply no shelter available for them in their community. Or we might also be able to see, you know, there's nobody in your community that's offering services to to trans women. And you need that. We're seeing a bunch of people not being able to get the shelter and support they need. Or you need to have more people that speak Vietnamese in your community because we're seeing an influx of people that, that need support in that language and it's not available to them. So it's not just that this um, kind of a system helps the organizations do something they were doing before more effectively and change the way their business processes are working, but it also is collecting useful data that helps us advocate for better programs in the community as a collective. And on the other side, we have you know lighter weight systems. We have a little tiny app that we built called Range that... Um, So in the United States, school children, um, something like 40 million of them, I think, uh, eat lunch for free or at a discounted rate at schools, right? If they are food insecure, if their families don't have enough to provide nutritious meals for for all the children in their household, school is a place where they, they can get a free lunch, right, or a discounted lunch. So what happens during the summertime when all the schools close? Those kids are still hungry on August 2nd, just like they are on November 12th, you know? And so um, the federal government sponsors lunch sites throughout the United States, but they aren't conveniently located at schools. They change locations. Some of them are only open for a week during the summer. There are roughly 100,000 public schools in the United States. At the height of summer, there are 47,000 of these sites open. So there, there are also not as many of them. People don't know about them. So we made this really simple little app called Range that just shows a school kid the closest place to get a free lunch during the summertime. And it works like, you know, Yelp works like a million other tools work. You open it up and you're the blue dot and the red dot are the places you can go get lunch. And we made it so people that are in helping positions, people like librarians, police officers, um, staff at public parks, um, street outreach workers, can easily direct young people where to go to get meals. Of course, young people can download it themselves as well. As I talked with Marnie, I noticed that she kept using the term civil society instead of nonprofit or charity or non-governmental organization. So what is a civil society? So civil society... um, you know, I, I tend to use it as a group word. In the United States, we say nonprofits a lot. In other countries, they might say, say non-governmental organizations or NGOs. But I think of civil society as those efforts, both formal and informal, that bring people together 
to do some positive work in their community. And I, I believe the role of civil society is to hold open a space in which we, a diverse groups of individuals have access to the resources they need, whether those resources are, are shelter because they're without a home, whether they're um, access to a museum because they might not be able to afford to do so, or whether it's access to a meal but because they're, they're struggling getting uh, n- nutritious food. Civil society are the, uh, is the umbrella, I use it as the umbrella term for those efforts, as I said, formal and informal that produce that. We, we know a lot about the formal efforts, right? Those are people that in the United States get an IRS determination letter and they get their 501c3 status. And when we write checks to them, we get um, tax write-offs and they get money from foundations, but there are also informal efforts that are a part of that. People in a community that show up every Friday night at a particular corner to hand out sandwiches. You know, and I think I think we, we need to, I, I enjoy holding both sides of that civil society, the formal and informal in mind, because I do think they work together. And if we really our goal is to really power change in communities. And we have to have a way of thinking about all of those efforts, even if we can provide more resources to the more formalized efforts. Let's shift to another powerful way we can give back to our communities, and that's volunteerism. Back in the day, we'd see a sign on a bulletin board or hear about a need from a neighbor. Today, thanks to technology, we have amazing opportunity to match our unique skills with an organization in need of that same skill. To help us explore this side of giving, I spoke with Taproot Foundation President and CEO, Lindsay Firestone Gruber. Taproot Foundation itself is a nonprofit organization, but with a focus on helping to make sure that other nonprofits and social good organizations get access to the support they need through pro bono service. So folks typically think of pro bono service as pro bono legal work, which is incredibly important, but something that already has a lot of avenues for support within the nonprofit sector. But nonprofit organizations, like any type of organization or business, have a critical need for effective HR, IT, marketing, and onwards from there in order to be effective in achieving their missions, and yet often have little to no access to the subject matter expertise that can really fuel that type of support to help make an organization as effective as possible. Taproot was founded by Aaron Hurst back in 2001, who had this critical idea um, that was both simple and important um, in the way it came to life, which is that there are incredible challenges that nonprofit organizations face that organizations in other sectors face every day and yet are able to tackle because of the access to resources they have. So he was looking to find a way to bridge that gap and ensure that there could be a similar way for organizations to access this type of support in the way that they more traditionally had been able to access legal support. There's also an incredible connection there um, in the history of Aaron's own background where his grandfather had actually created the blueprint for the Peace Corps and really uh, himself drew a, a direct parallel between the concept of being able to bring two different worlds together in order to partner for the greater good and surfacing what that could mean when bringing multiple sectors together in order to create impact for organizations that are out there serving our community. 
So it was with that founding charge that Taproot was formed in 2001. And from there, we've continued to evolve what it means to be able to ensure that organizations tackling some of society's greatest challenges get access to the support they need through pro bono service in order to achieve their missions. We actually just surpassed a critical milestone in now having delivered over $200 million worth of pro bono support directly into the nonprofit sector. So that's infusing $200 million worth of HR, finance, IT, marketing, and many other types of support these organizations would not otherwise have had access to. That was through over 1.7 million hours of pro bono consultation, serving upwards of 8,000 nonprofit organizations across 13,000 plus engagements over the course of the last 18 years or so. And that's just through our own programming. We also work hard in building the field of pro bono and being able to help others build and run effective pro bono programs and sharing best practices that have contributed even more to the amount of pro bono that's been able to start to have a transformational impact on the nonprofit sector. What I've experienced in my own pro bono volunteer opportunities is that not only was I helping my community, but the experience helped me actually hone my personal skills. This phenomenon and a growing trend in corporate giving is called service learning. One of the trends we've seen very heavily increasing over the last several years is the recognition that participation in pro bono service is an incredible experiential learning opportunity. So there's this important fine line that needs to be drawn when it comes to something like pro bono service, where it is an opportunity for someone to really develop and sharpen their skills. But unlike other types of learning opportunities, they have to already bring to the table you know, strong subject matter expertise to be able to consult on the topic at hand that the nonprofit needs support around. So instead, the skill development that's become really powerful, and there's now an increasing amount of data and longer term studies around, is the development and sharpening of a lot of the competencies that are frankly really critical for the future of work. So developing empathy and operating in a consultative manner, being able to have customer centric um, thinking and the way you approach a challenge, working virtually, navigating ambiguity, you know, so many different aspects that are very real components um, of many types of pro bono projects, but aren't always the factors that play into someone's day-to-day -day work, particularly at a large company. And uh, increasingly, it is not just the CSR departments or foundations within companies, but also through the HR and learning and development departments that we're working to bring these programs to life because of the recognition of how much that experiential learning opportunity can really play into someone's own development and the enhancement of, and frankly, appreciation of the skill set and subject matter expertise they already have and how much they can learn um, by changing their environment and working with a new partner to solve an interesting critical challenge using some of their existing skill set. We know that community organizations need technology to achieve their goals, but those same organizations are nonprofits with limited budgets and employees that are experts in their causes, not information technology. That's where service learning comes in, pairing the need with the tech skills.
There are so many examples to pick from in the way we've been able to see the impact of pro bono on communities around the world. Um, one example in particular that comes to mind is with a great organization called Haiti Now, whose focus is to end child servitude through the power of education. So this is you know, a really important organization, but one, like many of their peers, that is entirely volunteer run. That means that they obviously have a challenging time from a budget standpoint in really being able to invest in the efficiency and effectiveness of the way they're able to bring their mission and programming to life. So uh, among many hurdles they needed to face, one really important thing they needed to address is the fact that they need their teachers and volunteers on the ground to be able to track and share and analyze data from their programming, and yet needed to be able to do it in an environment with limited electricity, limited connectivity, and often very low digital literacy. So they knew they had to make some smart investments or changes in the way this could happen, but that was not something they were going to be able to address internally with the limited subject matter expertise they could tap. So this was a great example of how pro bono service make a tremendous difference for an organization because they were able to have a pro bono project really zoom in on this question of how to standardize data gathering and do so in a way that could really fit the environment in which they were operating. So by doing so, they're now able to easily track, submit, and gather critical data like attendance, GPA information, supporting the students that they're working with, um, and all through smartphones and the limited connectivity they're able to have um, through that deployment. This is actually one of many pro bono projects that they've received through Taproot's platform, uh, Taproot Plus online, to the tune now of over $1 million worth of pro bono service that Haiti now has been able to access. So when you think about a small volunteer run organization, suddenly having access to a million dollars worth of technology consulting, HR consulting, strategy consulting, that's transformational in the way they're able to bring their mission to life and the way they're able to take advantage of the limited funding and staff capacity they do have to make even greater use of that and those critical assets towards achieving their mission. As Muhammad Ali said, our only hope lies in the power of our love, generosity, tolerance, and understanding, and our commitment to making the world a better place for all. Massive gratitude to Marnie Webb of TechSoup and Lindsay Firestone Gruber of the Taproot Foundation for sharing their insights with us here and for their contributions to building a better world. Visit TechSoup.org and TaprootFoundation.org to learn how you can help. As always, I'm Blakely Thomas Aguilar, and this is Pop Culture Tech. Our podcast is brought to you by VMware, the software that connects, automates, and secures the world's digital infrastructure. Learn more at VMware.com. Have questions about today's episode or want to learn how you can get involved in civil society? Follow me at Blakely Ags and use hashtag Pop Culture Tech. Until next time, pop culture fans.